0: And one manager yelled at another manager, he says, don't you realize that life on Mars means death for JPL? Another person put it this way, he says, we know that if we find life or anything else exciting on Mars, this is jet propulsion guy talking, that the astronauts will come with their big rockets and take Mars away from us. Mars is an all you can eat buffet for them right now. They don't want anything to change that. So that's part of the reason that they don't look for life on Mars because they don't want to find it.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. John Brandenburg. We're going to discuss his theories on an ancient civilization that had been on Mars millions of years ago. So, welcome. Uh, I'm going to call you John, if that's okay.
0: That's all right. That's right.
1: So, Mars was an Earth-like planet way back when. So, tell me more about that. Okay. Oh, actually, actually, before you start that, your bona fides. Tell us a little bit about your background. Okay.
0: I am a theoretical plasma physicist. I was trained to work on nuclear fusion. Plasmas are, of course, charged particles like the solar wind, the stars, the sun, the northern lights, lightning bolts. That's all plasma. Of course, we're trying to harness fusion with that to stop world warming. We will succeed. I also became involved in space exploration. I invented a rocket thruster that runs on microwaves with plasmas, makes a plasma with microwaves, and the plasma is made of water vapor. So this is all being tested. This has been tested successfully in space now. It's called the MET thruster. I became interested in Mars because it was the goal of our space program when I was young. Eventually, after the moon, we were going to go to Mars. So I invented this rocket engine to help us get to Mars faster using solar power and this microwave generator and water. But also, I got interested in Mars itself, and I discovered the ocean of Mars. Or it's called the Paleocean of Mars. You can see in the uh, Wikipedia page on the Mars Ocean, Mars Ocean Theory, I'm reference number one. I gave my first paper on it in 1986 mm-hmm. to a packed a room full of other scientists. They never gave me any credit because of my involvement in another thing that I'll get to. So we have evidence now from Mars meteorites that early Mars was warm, wet, and full of organic molecules, primordial soup. These are the same conditions that were on Earth at the same time, four and a half billion years ago. That means if life began on Earth and it was not miraculous, then life has to have begun on Mars because it was similar conditions. Mm
1: -hmm. So that
0: means Mars was alive, Earth was alive, Mars was alive. So Mars and Earth started following the sort of the same path as planetary environments. On Earth, life got going and finally photosynthesis got going and it made what's called the great oxygen event. The Earth's atmosphere became dominated by oxygen. So as nitrogen and the carbon dioxide disappeared to form like marble or uh, calcium carbonate. So the early Earth atmosphere was partly CO2, but it had a lot of oxygen in it. The oxygen is where, like in the Grand Canyon, if you look in the Grand Canyon, you see down every, all the strata is red. That's red because of highly oxidized iron hematite, rust red. Mm-hmm. And then if you go down below that, it's black iron. That's lava basalt. That's iron in its lower oxidation state. So the strata turned black because there wasn't a lot of oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere. So you can see that transition in the Grand Canyon. The great oxygen event on Earth apparently happened about half a billion years ago, and where suddenly photosynthesis took over and you had this dominant oxygen atmosphere. Apparently that happened on Mars. If you look at pictures of Earth, of the Sahara Desert, like desert places where there's no vegetation, no clouds, no ocean, they're bright red. Earth is a red planet. Mars is red for the same reason because it had a high oxygen atmosphere. The only way you can have a CO2 greenhouse to trap a lot of heat at Mars is you have to have oxygen atmosphere. Otherwise the carbonic acid that forms with liquid water will combine with the lava form carbonates, black iron carbonate, but the oxygen rusts the iron first. So it frees the CO2, keeps the CO2. So Mars life, not only like on earth, not only got going but it flourished on Mars and it dug in and apparently then life evolved on Mars so that ultimately somebody who looked like us and acted like us building large monuments appeared on Mars. That's why we find the face and the pyramid at Cydonia. There's a face on Mars and then there's a five-sided pyramid right next to it within about five miles NASA never shows the pyramid and the face in the same picture, but it's just like the Sphinx and the pyramids in Egypt. So that is on Mars. And There's another place on Mars, which was found by me, by the way, called Galaxis Chaos. I didn't name it. It's funny. They only named it that after I found out there were two faces there. One of the faces looks a great deal like the original face at Cydonia. They're at a place called Galaxis Chaos, also known as Utopia. It's near the plains of Utopia. It's right on the shore of what used to be the ancient Mars Ocean, which mm-hmm. I also discovered. Now, people don't give me any credit for the Mars Ocean. They talk about the Mars Ocean, they don't talk about or discover it. That was me because of my involvement with Cydonia, face on Mars, face at Galaxis Chaos. They, They don't want to talk about Brandenburg. I am considered a dangerous character on Mars. So life began on Mars. Life continued a long time on Mars, apparently evolved on Mars, produced somebody like us. We don't know the level of the civilization on Mars because then something happened on Mars to change it from being Earth-like with an ocean, abundant life to being its present state, where there's some bacteria living on Mars, apparently, that make oxygen and Mm -hmm. methane. And in the summer and fall, they see that there's more methane and oxygen in the Mars atmosphere. Then in the winter and fall, it declines. So there's a rhythmic cycle. That's life on Mars. So there's still some life clinging. Also, vegetation on Mars, Anyone who's been to the Oregon coast where I grew up knows that seaweed from northern climates is not green, it's red. It's red because there's more light available, light energy. Green vegetation is basically reflecting most of the light of the sun. The light of the sun peaks in the green. It's reflecting most of the light. It's only absorbing the blue and the red for photosynthesis. But if you're short on light, you color yourself red, so you absorb green and blue, that means you can make more efficient use of the low light available. That's why the seaweed on the Oregon coast is all red because its chlorophyll is adapted to low light conditions. Mars vegetation will be red. It will not be green. So that's why all these pictures of Mars where we see a red landscape, it's mostly red because of red hematite in the soil, like red Georgia clay or the red Sahara desert on earth. But what you're seeing also apparently on the rocks is red lichen. It's red because that absorbs, Mars only gets half the sunlight, the earth. So you don't throw away the green light, you you absorb it. Red plant colored life will absorb the green light and the blue light where all the energy is. Those are the higher energy photons that do photosynthesis. So we're actually staring at life on Mars, right on the rocks and we don't recognize it. Is is it
1: that we don't recognize it or that we're not sharing that we recognize it?
0: It's I think a large fraction of both. Most of the academic community does what they're told to get grants. If they're told, we don't want you talking about life on Mars, we don't want you talking about red chlorophyll on Mars, we don't want you talking about the oxygen in the Mars atmosphere that we can't explain, if you want any grants from us. I was a college professor at a university. They were more mercantile at that university than I'd ever seen in any business. If you didn't bring in money from grants, your chances of getting tenure or getting Once you get tenure, then you're an assistant professor. You want to become a full professor, you got to kiss ass for another five years and bring in lots of grant money to become a full professor. You want to ever become the head of the department, maybe the dean of arts and sciences, you got to bring in a billion dollars. Yeah, that's what that's the only thing they paid attention to. So by controlling the money spigot, NASA controls the dialogue. On Mars concerning biology. They don't want to. Mars, as far as they're concerned, Mars is dead. The Mars investigations are all being run by a bunch of rock geologists. Our joke is if they were driving their rover around and saw a lizard sitting on top of a rock on Mars, they would use the robot arm to shoo away the way the lizard so they could look at the rock that it was sitting on.
1: They'd say, gosh,
0: what an interesting rock. They uh, say they recruit the rover drivers from L.A. drivers. You have to have driven in L.A. for five years before you get to be a Mars uh, rover driver. Because everyone knows that if you're driving along the freeway and you see a flaming car with a person in a gorilla suit waving for help, you just keep driving. And that's what they do on Mars. They see anything weird (laughs) on Mars, they just keep driving. Now, NASA talks a lot about looking for life in the universe and on Mars, but look at what they do. It's been a half a century since we landed on Mars and did life tests in the soil to test for life. We got weird results, which they said, that can't be life, it's weird chemistry. What is life, John? It's weird chemistry. So. They have not even know how many, we've landed on Mars now at least six times with probes that are functioning. They don't do any more life tests. They don't do any more life tests because they know the result. They're gonna find life on Mars. So NASA does not want to find life on Mars. Let's not discuss why right now, let's just say, They make lip service to to looking for life, but they don't want to find it. In fact, I've heard that there was an angry meeting at Jet Propulsion Lab when NASA Johnson found evidence of life in a Mars meteorite ALH 8401. There was an angry meeting at Jet Propulsion Lab. And one manager yelled at another manager. He says, don't you realize that life on Mars means death for JPL? Another person put it this way, He says, "We know that if we find life or anything else exciting on Mars, this is jet Propulsion guy talking, that the astronauts will come with their big rockets and take Mars away from us. Mars is an all-you- can-eat buffet for them right now. They don't want anything to change that. So that's part of the reason that, they don't look for life on Mars because they don't want to find it. There are other reasons, of course, political reasons. This country is one of the most religious countries on Earth, believe it or not. Probably mm-hmm. only India is more religious than we are. And it is a common fiction among fundamentalists that if you find evidence for extraterrestrial life, this will invalidate the Bible. That's ridiculous. I actually know something about the Bible. The Bible was written in Greek, not in Shakespearean English. And the word for world in the Bible—that that's translated in the King James as "God so loved the world and go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature." That word is the Greek word "cosmos," that is translated as "world," and it means exactly in the ancient Greek that it means now it means the whole universe. So. Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, and of course, Hinduism, and also Buddhism, are actually cosmic religions. It's in their founding documents that there's life elsewhere in the universe. So this idea that finding extraterrestrial life is going to invalidate the, the Bible or something like that, the people who say that don't know jack about the Bible, and they certainly don't know their ancient Greek. So there. That's all I'm going to say about that. I wrote a book on this called Cosmic Jesus. (laughs) Uh, I was hoping fundamentalists would read it. No, 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 no. Anything combining the word cosmic and Jesus meant that it was some kind of New Age thing, and they wouldn't read it. And so that's okay. That's okay. A lot of other people read it. So that's fine. Now, Mars was like Earth. And everything that happened on Earth apparently happened on Mars, including life and the ultimate evolution of life to adapt to its environment, which is intelligence. So apparently a humanoid culture developed on Mars. And then something terrible happened. We know on Earth, there have been several what are called mass extinctions. The great Permian extinction about 300 million years ago, wiped out 80% of life on Earth. No one knows why. We know what wiped out the dinosaurs. It was a big Chicxulub impact. But the dinosaurs, that was just the top upper echelon of the biological pyramid on Earth. The mammals and everything, they did fine. They just stayed in their burrows till the place warmed up again. They ate frozen dinosaur for uh, a couple years, and then they were fine. Then the mammals took over we had woolly mammoths after a while and giant sloths so earth recovered earth also recovered from the great permian extinction the great permian extinction they can't figure out what caused it but it killed the ocean it killed off all the insects apparently it it killed everything how, how long boat. ago was
1: the permian years
0: ago, about 300 million years ago, about a third of a million years ago, and it's the most severe great extinction on Earth, and it almost turned Earth into another Mars. Now, on Mars, apparently, there was a terrible mass extinction event that changed Mars from being like it is, like Earth, is now to what it is now, which is somewhere between the Earth and the Moon. Only a thousandth of an Earth's atmosphere. Some very tough microbes apparently clinging to life on Mars. But they're doing okay. They're making oxygen. They're making methane. So there's only a a remnant of a biosphere.
1: And that's something that NASA does not admit. Oh, no, no, no. They
0: claim it's a great mystery why the oxygen levels rise in the summer. In Martian summer where they have the Rovers Park, when it's Martian spring and summer, the oxygen levels rise in the Mars atmosphere, and so do the methane levels. Methane is caused by bacteria eating I mean, organic are, are matter, they... and oxygen is, of course, caused by photosynthesis.
1: And are they that dense, or do, or do they, they know they're just hiding it?
0: Well, I think we're living in an era what's called the ET cover-up era, where the government knows that we're not alone in the universe and it is keeping that from its people.
1: Again, not to divert too far from the topic, but do you have a sense of why they would keep something uh, like a secret?
0: Well, there's a principle of SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. It's called the principle of mediocrity. It says the Earth and humanity are actually unremarkable in the cosmos. We're typical. It's like if you've got a a drawer full of socks of different colors, you know there are different colors Mm -hmm. in there. You reach in and grab one pair of socks and they're black. Well, probably there are a lot of black socks in that drawer. Mm -hmm. If you just reached in and grabbed one randomly and it turned out it's Principally mediocrity says that if you take a random sample of a system, and it turns out something, then it's most likely fairly typical. Now, if Earth and Mars were very similar, that says that Earth-like planets are probably found throughout the galaxy Mm -hmm. with oceans and life on them. And by extension of mediocrity, that means we're typical. Now, we come from a long line of social predators. We're buddies with the wolves. We're buddies with killer whales, also called orca, by the way. Orca actually means sea devil in Latin. (laughs) The Romans, uh, yeah, they, they tried to rename killer whales. They tried to improve their public image. Now other killers. But dolphins, killer whales, Wolves, chimpanzees, the people, the one creature on earth that we're most genetically related to, very murderous bunches. They
1: murder and they're they murdering for other. a living
0: and they kill yeah. each other. What's that?
1: Yeah, they murder each other.
0: Oh, Jane Goodall lived with them for about a year and then discovered they were killing each other. And not just the baboons who were competing with them for water holes. And she was horrified. She tried to report this to her superiors and they wouldn't listen to her. They said, No, no, no. We've told everybody the chimps are very peaceful and are models for how the human race should behave because the Vietnam War was going. One person even told her, She said, If you Tell us the w- chimps are very murderous like human beings. This will justify the Vietnam War. We can't have that. So they told her, if you want to keep your grant. Yeah, you a, keep always a good reason to distort they,
1: science for a political agenda. Always oh, great. absolutely. Right? Like,
0: and they controlled her money supply. I Think she's out there in African wilderness? No, she's got to have supplies. She's got to have a tent. They take away her grants. There goes her research project. So she had to play ball with them. So eventually, she finally was able to establish, yes, the chimps were a very murderous bunch, like a bunch of savage tribesmen. Kind of reminds you somebody, doesn't it? Okay. The problem with mediocrity is if you take it to its natural extension, then the rest of the universe, if we're typical of what other people other humanoid other intelligent beings are like on other planets then the universe is a pretty rough and tumble place I'm sorry based on earthly experience the human race is not a bunch of angels and you as an army veteran you know that better than anybody I worked in defense for along with energy for energy and defense for pretty much the same thing We harnessing fusion meant we could uh, fight a war without being worried about our oil being embargoed, something like that. So, what we're dealing with then, if we live in a mediocre universe,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: we expect to find some people who are nice and some people who are not so nice. The Vulcans will be out there, the Endorans. The Pleiadians, the Min- Winomims, you know, they'll be out there. So will the Klingons and uh, the Cardassian sisters. And so will the Daleks from Doctor Who. They'll all be out there too. I'm sorry, we grew up on a rough planet. The rest of the galaxy is pretty rough too. If you want to know what my impression of the universe is like, it's like walking into the Star Wars Cantina, Moss Eisley. And getting a good look at all the patrons in the bar, there. Pretty rough bunch. As Obi Wan Kenobi said, watch yourself, watch your step. This place can get a bit rough sometimes. So, So
1: you're saying saying the government. What's that? Okay. Okay. So, you're saying part of the reason the government doesn't want to unveil this is they don't want to scare people. They don't
0: want to scare people. We're new kids on the block, our technology is not that advanced. The universe has been around for like 14 billion years. We've only been around for about 2 million years.
1: Since- I actually think there was something that was published like a week ago that extended that to like 27 billion years. Just check it out afterward. But Oh,
0: well, the Webb telescope has destroyed people's careers. Yeah, I can't say it's right or wrong.
1: I'm just I saying there's some I, articles you know, out there. Yeah.
0: I got no dog in this fight. You say it's 12 billion years old? Other people say it's 24. Both of those are a long time. It all happened before I was around. And as the heroine in one of my science fiction novels says, we know the universe is a violent place because it began with a big violent explosion, big bang. (laughs) And so if you apply the principles of SETI and the principles of statistics, you get mediocrity. And mediocrity says... The rest of the universe is a lot like Earth. It's a lot like a big city like L.A. or New York City where there's good people and there's bad people. People you'd want to meet in an alley and people you don't want to meet in an alley. And so you could understand why the government. If the government knew this, they wouldn't want to share that with people because they don't want to scare them because we're new kids on the block now. There's another problem we have that's called Fermi's paradox. Human beings, as you know, are noisy. So are wolves. So are chimpanzees. So are dolphins. So are killer whales. Making noise, especially to let other people know you're around, is part of social behavior, especially for social predators. So life on Earth expands to find all new dwelling places. Life is very expansive, it's also very noisy on Earth, and we're considered typical. And the human race, despite its feeling that it's above nature, actually behaves pretty much like another social predator. The wolves, the killer whales, the chimpanzees, howler monkeys, we have our good and bad days. And so does everybody else in nature that we know. So I don't know of any completely peaceful species on earth, maybe sheep, but even sheep, wild sheep have rams. Don't go messing with the herd. Mating season, they ram into each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, so based on biology, the principle of mediocrity, we would expect the rest of the universe has both good and bad in it. The good people we can deal with, they're easy to deal with. Make nice, they're nice to us, we're nice to them. The people who are bad, say the Klingons, the Daleks. Well, that's a problem. If the government knew they were out there too, they would not want to share that with people because we're just getting into space ourselves. If people are coming from other stars, to hear, they have much advanced technology. And if they're not very pleasant, some of them, some of them, then the government would want naturally to keep that quiet, especially during the Cold War where public morale was constantly being monitored. Public morale is always a part of a war, even a Cold War. So we're actually fighting a Cold War in outer space now, apparently. So now the other problem we face is Fermi's paradox. As I've told you, social predators, everything on Earth is expansive. It expands constantly to find new places to live. And they also make a lot of noise. Based on that, since we're fairly new kids on the block, the universe is far older than we are, we would expect that everywhere we would point our radio telescopes, we would see soap commercials, political propaganda, reality TV, being beamed from all these other places. Instead, it's as silent as a ghost town. Mm-hmm. So this is like the old line in these old cowboy movies where the Apaches sneaking up on their campsite and the, the cowboys are watching. And one of them says, it's real quiet out there. And the other guy says, yeah, it's too quiet. There's trouble out there because it's too quiet. Not even crickets are chirping because they know people are sneaking around. Won't the,
1: push- the, won't the Webb Telescope enable scientists to observe chemical compositions of planets that indicate oh, that there's oh yes. life?
0: It's amazing. So because-
1: why, I mean, they've had this telescope for a wee bit of time. Like, how come we haven't heard anything about that sort of thing Yeah. Right, yeah,
0: Sean, Sean the business of NASA is to cover up evidence of life at this point. I mean, it's an infrared telescope. The thing that you use infrared for is to find organic chemicals. Everything from nerve gas to methane, to water vapor Mm -hmm. shows up in the infrared much better than it does in the visible. In the visible, Signs of life are red blood, red, green chlorophyll, green, red and green. And if you point your telescope just in the visible at Jupiter, what do you see? You see a big red spot. And I've always wondered, why is that spot red? Well, it's probably red because it's organic chemicals, and they're easy to detect, especially because you don't need a fancy infrared telescope to look at Jupiter with. They've known it for a long time. Jupiter is apparently a big cesspool of life. That's why it's so colorful. The gases that make up the Jupiter atmosphere, ammonia, nitrogen, helium, hydrogen, they're all colorless. What gives Jupiter this rainbow of colors? It's probably life, plankton floating in the clouds. But if you're NASA and you know the government doesn't want us to know we're not alone in the universe, then NASA takes its cue from the government. And you, if you want your grants, you take your cue from what NASA wants. If they say, Brandenburg, listen carefully to what I'm saying. You're supposed to look for life on Mars. And then on the board, the guy is saying, writes, there is no life on Mars. And you're not going to find any, right? Question mark. He writes that on the whiteboard. He says, Brandenburg, we want you to look for life on Mars. And then he points to the board. This is the directions you have to follow if you want your grant so you can get a tenure position. Did
1: that that ever actually happen to you or is this just a for instance? Oh,
0: uh, no, but I know it's happened because I watched the reaction of academia to the life signs they found in the Mars rock. Basically, here's what happened. I had found rocks that are sitting in museums called the CI carbonaceous chondrites. Now, if you're walking around in Antarctica and you find a rock on top of the ice, there's only one place it could come from. It's very easy to find meteorites in Antarctica. You just look for rocks sitting on the ice. They come from the sky. How do you know which ones are from Mars? Well, that was a big detective story. What they found was most of the rocks that fall from space are rock, and they kind of look like Earth-like lava okay, we found lavas on Mars. I mean, we found lavas rock and they tested the rock to see how old it was. They can tell that with radioisotopes. Almost every rock they pick up in Antarctica is four and a half billion years old. The foundation of the solar system. The mm-hmm. asteroids out in the asteroid belt came solid at the same time that this earth and the moon and Mars became solid about four and a half billion years ago. So then, but they found these lavas and the lavas were young. Some of them were only 200 million years old. And they thought there's some place in the solar system nearby that has active volcanoes. By this point, they'd actually orbited Mars with the Mariner 9. They'd seen the big volcanoes on Mars. And they said, we only know one planet nearby, where there's big volcanoes, where volcanoes are melting rocks into lava, and it's then congealing, and it happened about 200 million years ago, about the age of the dinosaurs. So we knew there were big volcanoes on Mars, and we had these volcanic rocks that were young, so we thought, maybe they come from Mars. Then we ground up the rocks and sampled the gases that came out. The gases that come out when you grind up rocks are what are called the noble gases, the inert gases. They're like argon, which they use. Argon and neon and krypton, xenon, they're all used in like fluorescent lights because they light up really nice when you run electricity through them, especially xenon gives a nice bright flash. They use that in flash lamps, strobe lights, and for photography so the noble gases are nice because they don't combine chemically with anything they have these nice electrical properties and there's traces of the earth's atmosphere xenon krypton argon so the noble gases from these rocks were very enriched in two isotopes one was the isotope of xenon called 129 and the other one was what's called argon 40. both of those are produced by nuclear reactions. And this was really weird because on Earth, Xenon-129 and Xenon-132 are both equal in abundance. But on Mars, there was two and a half times. And all the rocks we get from space, they show equal Xenon-129 and Xenon-132. And we got rocks from the moon, they showed the same amounts. All the Earth's atmosphere is the same. The solar wind is the same. We even parachuted a probe into the clouds of Jupiter. It's the same. Mars sticks out like a sore thumb. So that's how they knew these rocks were from Mars. Because we landed on Mars, we picked up a lot of Xenon-129 in the Viking landers. And they also found a lot of Argon-40 in the Mars atmosphere, much more than on Earth. And guess what we found in the Mars rocks? A lot of Xenon-129, a lot of Argon-40. So they were fresh lavas with these two isotopes in. So we knew they were from Mars. That's how they solved a detective story. That's why the dog didn't bark, says Sherlock Holmes, because it was from Mars. (laughs) I'll tell you, there's only one rock that is ever known to have killed a living thing on Earth. And it came from Mars. (laughs) killed a dog in Egypt. They named meteorites after where they fall on Earth. And this one fell in a place in Egypt called Nakla. And it was a whole shower of rocks. It wasn't just one. And they found a dead dog under a piece of rock. And it was killed by a rock from the sky. It was out there big, you know, howling at the moon one night. Big rock came down and killed it. So it turns out. It came from Mars. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what are the chances? It shows Mars has bad karma. So we had these rocks from Mars, and what they do is they have signs of being exposed to liquid water. So we know there was a lot of liquid water on Mars, and we also found organic molecules even in the young rocks from Mars. And so they then figured out that the oxygen in the rocks, oxygen combines with everything. So the oxygen has three isotopes, and there's a fingerprint for rocks from Mars. So they don't test Mars rocks for noble gases anymore. They look at the oxygen isotopes. Mm-hmm. The Oxygen isotopes have a certain fingerprint that says they're from Mars. They found all these rocks from Mars at the same oxygen imprint. Things on Earth have a different oxygen. Rocks from the moon and rocks from Earth are almost identical in their oxygen fingerprint. That's how we know that Earth and the moon formed together, that the moon was not just a captured asteroid or something. A lot of the meteorites actually have different fingerprints in oxygen, but Mars has its own fingerprint, very distinct from all the other meteorites and very distinct from Earth.
1: Quick question about that. Is this Fingerprint from Mars, the same across different time periods. So you mentioned two hundred million years ago, yes. But is it the same four four and a half billion years ago? Do you still have that weird ratio? Uh, Yes.
0: Interestingly enough, the very ancient rocks from Mars that are close to four and a half billion years old now they have very ancient meteorites. They show the same oxygen, and it's funny they don't show the xenon and the argon isotopes. They, they look just like Earth. So the xenon and the argon isotopes arrived later. We'll talk about what that means later. But the oxygen isotope is the same. And these early rocks from Mars show a lot of organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. They show that there were warm, wet conditions on Mars, just like on Earth. So What this means and what I did was I found out there were meteorites sitting in museums that actually matched the oxygen fingerprint of Mars, but they weren't considered to be from Mars. They're called carbonaceous chondrites. They consist of clay formed in water, and then they're 2% organic matter. They're soaked in primordial soup. They're the richest in organics of any meteorite. So I said, these things are from Mars. Hence, hence they're not labeled as being from Mars. Right. Exactly. I got this published in a referee scientific journal. I had a long fight with the referees. And they finally, normally they're anonymous, but they actually started writing me openly saying, well, we don't like your idea, but we run out of objections. So I guess we'll just have to publish this thing. So early Mars and early Earth had the same chemicals, the same conditions. Hence, unless you're going to say life on Earth was miraculous. And looking around me, I'm sorry, we don't look terribly miraculous. It ain't so miraculous. (laughs) We ain't so miraculous. I'm sorry. We're not a bunch of angels here. And neither are some of the other critters we encounter here on Earth. So life began on early Mars. Now, we know something else now. We have rocks from Mars that range in age from 200 million years ago, time of the dinosaurs, all the way back to four and a half billion years on Mars. Four and a half billion year old rocks, full of organic matter, we know life started on Mars. The younger rocks from Mars were also exposed to a lot of oxygen. Mm -hmm. And of course, Mars is red. If you look at pictures from Earth, you find the Sahara Desert, any place there's a desert where it's not covered with vegetation, covered with clouds, covered with ocean, it's bright red. It's red because of oxygen from the air combining with iron in the soil to make hematite, rust red. And the early Earth atmosphere did not have a lot of oxygen. They find evidence for life, but there was not a lot of oxygen. Then, about half a billion years ago, photosynthesis took over. And suddenly, the amount of oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere just rose dramatically. The plankton in the ocean finally figured out how to make a lot of oxygen. And it did. And once it formed oxygen in the atmosphere, it formed an ozone layer, which protected the life from ultraviolet. So if you're in water, ultraviolet's not a problem. You can't get a sunburn if you stay underwater. But for plants to spread on land, they needed protection from ultraviolet. They produced a lot of oxygen, it produced our own sunscreen. That's what the ozone layer is oxygen blocks ultraviolet. So you can have all sorts of plant life and animal life on land, not under the water anymore. Water blocks ultraviolet, but in the air, you need oxygen. Now the oxygen combines with our soil and makes it red. If you go to the Grand Canyon, you'll see all these layers in the Grand Canyon walls. They're all bright red meaning there was lots of oxygen in the atmosphere when those sediments were laid down, forming rock. Then it suddenly turns black. That's black iron lava, black lava. That's iron in its low oxidation state. It's black. That's what basalt looks like, black. Mm-hmm. It combines with the air, becomes bright red clay with it weathering. It mixes with the oxygen, becomes red clay That's the standard process of weathering of lava, turning rock into soil. And the soil was bright red. So you can see on earth, suddenly things changed dramatically. We suddenly had an oxygen atmosphere. Once we had an oxygen atmosphere, life could spread to land, because it's on sunscreen. And the dinosaurs, the pterodactyls, all this stuff happened. The Stegosaurus, the Brontosaurus. I love dinosaurs when I was a kid. Brinosaurus, Rexes, Gigantosaurus. Life just suddenly thrived. And then, of course, you had a big asteroid hit Earth. The Chicxulub event and wiped out the dinosaurs. But the, the mammals were just little kind of rats and shrews took over, and then they got big. They took over, and after a couple million years, you had saber-toothed tigers, woolly Mm -hmm. mammoths, and stuff like that, stuff with fur, and eventually then got us. So on Mars, apparently to have liquid water, and there was an old ocean on Mars. I'm the guy who discovered the big ocean on Mars. People never give me credit. For reasons I'll discuss later. But if you look at the Wikipedia article on the Mars ocean theory, I'm reference number one. I got up in front of an audience full of scientists, thousand scientists sitting there, presented evidence that there was an old ocean on Mars, and they believe me. They don't give me credit, credit I can get from a bank. That's okay. That's academia, by the way. Mm-hmm. They've basically been told, if you reference Brandenburg, you won't get a grant in your proposal you know if you reference brandenburg's ocean uh, brandenburg invented this ocean brandenburg's he who shall not be named is is actually named brandenburg hey that's okay
1: that sounds like real science there right they believe well i'm sorry (laughs) right
0: i'm i'm sorry no no it's good to know like it's
1: good for people to know that's how this whole system works and it's kind of science it's not pure science right
0: it's never pure. It's a human activity. It's like political human science. Passion. Yeah. Leakey, you know, did all his pioneering work in Africa. The other paleontologists hated him. But he was a good gutter fighter. He could throw sarcasm and he could out-argue anybody at these conferences. And he had the skulls to prove it. So he, a lot of science is personality-driven and driven by human factors. So I discovered the ocean. Everybody believes it now. Look at it. I'm reference number one.
1: Who's the okay. one who got credit for it? Who's the what? Who's the one who got credit for discovering that?
0: Oh, nobody. That person is a mystery. Oh. They won't wow. even tell me who discovered <laughs> that ocean.
1: <laughs> well, at least you didn't have some self-important prick come in and take your oh, idea I, and assume credit oh. for it.
0: I was waiting for one of those. And then I was going to show up because, uh, hey, part Irish like you.
1: Yeah, it would be a fight. I don't mind it'd a good a fight.
0: Yeah. Really? I would have just polished up my brass knuckles and gone to the next scientific meeting and called him out saying, how come he didn't reference my paper?
1: And YouTube, he's being sarcastic. He's not advocating violence here. No, I,
0: <laughs> I never advocate
1: violence. That's right, kiddos. Never advocate violence. We're just being hyperbolic here. We're Irishmen, after all.
0: (laughs) Yes. So we have Mars was like Earth. And Mars is red because it's highly oxidized. They have the Valus Marineris Canyons. It's not just red on the surface. All the layers in the Valus Marineris Canyon are red except the very bottom ones. And there, once again, you find black rock, which is unoxidized lava. I pointed this out to another scientist, Mars scientist, and I said, gee, it looks like Mars had an oxygen atmosphere until, and he said, well, that's just red dust on the walls. I said, well, how come it's black on the bottom of the walls, but not, he just walked away. He knew his (laughs) grants were endangered from even talking to me, even being seen with me. So you talk to he who shall not be named. So, Sean, you're going to be in this business. You got to have a sense of humor.
1: I want there to be no mercy when <laughs> and if this stuff comes out. Like, I want these people to be shamed for the cowards that they are, people who don't stick to their principles, just do what they're told. That ninety percent of humanity that sheep, I can't wait to see their reaction. Like, oh, what am I gonna do? It's just like if you thought for yourself, you wouldn't be surprised by any of this. Sorry, I just this is my public service. I uh, I, I
0: wrote a, I, I wrote a science fiction novel, science fiction novel about the collapse of the UFO cover up was published in two thousand five, and I have this beautiful heroine. She's Chinese American from San Diego. She tells her friend, who's a blonde from Cleveland. Blonde bombshell from Cleveland. She says, fellows news anchor, they're both news anchors, so they're both gorgeous." But anyway, she says, "The great unindicted co-conspirator in the UFO cover-up and the whole ET cover-up is the American public itself."
1: Yeah, they yeah, are the great go unindicted co-conspirators just, just because they shame. don't
0: want to know. They're afraid. Yeah, it's social contagion.
1: Out. They're worried about being shamed
0: oh um, they're easy to intimidate they mm-hmm. just want to go about their business and when somebody with a gun in the street wearing a trench coat says move along here folks there's nothing here to see and flashes their gun holster at them they just do that they just do that they don't well, ask john, any
1: questions. john some of us have been trained to assault into ambushes good for you well,
0: hey, I've been working in defense for 40 years. But I don't advocate any violence. No? That's right.
1: That's and you're right. in the I'm Army. You don't,
0: violence. you were a former, you're an Army veteran. You don't advocate violence either. Neither of us do. So anyway, so now Mars was like Earth for most of its history. That's why it's red. If you have a carbon dioxide greenhouse on Mars, like we're creating on Earth, by the way. By the way, I'm a firm believer in global warming. We have to switch to nuclear power and natural gas. If we just did that, we could stop this pretty much. Yeah, 100% on nuclear has,
1: power, especially, especially nuclear power. It's got zero emissions. Oh yeah, emissions. Nuc- but,
0: it doesn't anyway. produce any carbon dioxide. Okay, but anyway, so yeah. now, if we have a CO2 greenhouse on Mars, so that Mars has enough atmospheric pressure to have liquid water, because if, if you threw a cup of water in the air on Mars, it would boil and freeze at the same time. Liquid water on Mars would not last two seconds. But if you have a dense atmosphere like Earth's, then water is fine. Water needs pressure to stay liquid. It also needs warm temperatures. So the way you get warm temperatures and a dense atmosphere is have a dense carbon dioxide greenhouse, traps a lot of heat, With warm temperatures, high pressure, and you can have rivers on Mars. You can have an ocean on Mars. And that's apparently just what they are. Now, the problem with that is chemically, it forms carbonic acid. CO2 gets into the water. You have carbonated water. It's it's an acid. It attacks the lava and makes carbonates out of it. That takes away, suddenly, all the carbon dioxide's going into the rock, the lava rock, forming black iron carbonate. It's called brunerite. Well, what stops that? Well, if you have an oxygen atmosphere, the oxygen intercepts the CO2. Oxygen is a much more powerful chemical, a powerful chemical, than carbon dioxide to form with iron. So mm-hmm. it, it makes the iron into hematite and it releases all the carbon dioxide. You can't have iron carbonate in, with iron in its high oxidation state, which is hematite. So you get a red surface and no carbonates and lots of water channels. That means there was lots of oxygen in Mars, old atmosphere, just like on Earth. So life did not just begin on Mars, it flourished on Mars, just like it did on Earth, except that Mars needed a greenhouse to have everything going, proceeded along the same path. And so there was biology on Mars, for a long time. That means that life evolved just like it did on Earth. How do we know this? Did it evolve? Well, there's a place called Sidonia Mensa where there's a large, what looks like a large carved face. And five miles from it is a five sided pyramid. NASA never shows the picture of the face and the pyramid in the same picture,
1: but they By are the there. Way, by the way, is there any particular star system that that pyramid points toward? Well, Earth
0: meanders on its axis. It wobbles on its axis. Yeah, that's fair. And apparently Mars does the same thing. The key thing that keeps Earth kind of stable in its orbit it, so that it only tips to 23 degrees, and it's tipped 23 degrees from its orbit, is the moon. What's curious What is really curious is that Mars is tipped to exactly the same as Earth, go figure. And its day is 24 hours and 30 minutes. It's almost the same rotation period and the same axis tip as the Earth. I didn't make this stuff up, it's just, just look it up. So apparently the planets were very similar People say, Mm -hmm. oh, Mars orbit, pole tips back and forth. Okay, how come we look now and it's the same as Earth's?
1: Well, here's a weird question. Just just go with me on this. If we didn't have the moon, would the Earth still have this 24-hour cycle?
0: Actually, one of the other things that stabilizes the Earth's rotation is the polar caps. When the poles are at right angles to the orbit, you know, the spin axis is at right angles, to the, then you get these big polar caps, they're heavy. And it's what's called the moment of inertia argument. So that if you have a whole bunch of ice at the poles in Antarctica and the Antarctic Ocean, then this actually stabilizes the earth's rotation also.
1: What if, what so if it may be the, the liquid
0: water has stabilized the earth's rotation. Now, of course, They don't like talking about a lot of liquid water on Mars, despite the fact that everybody believes there was an ocean there. Oh, they always say, oh, the ocean dried up billions and billions of years ago. No, it didn't. Look at maps. It's on the youngest part of Mars. The way you tell how things are old, they have a lot of craters on Mars, just like on the moon. Mm -hmm. The way the younger the terrain is, the less craters it has. The ocean bed on Mars has almost no craters whatsoever. So that ocean lasted most of Mars history. So Mars was like Earth with an ocean, with life for most of its history, just like Earth. Everything that happened on Earth apparently happened on Mars, including people like us, apparently, who built big monuments and left ruins. There are two spots on Mars where there's apparently large cities. Sidonia Menza, where there's the face and the pyramid. There's a lot of other stuff there that they don't like to talk about. And then there's another place in the place called Utopia. And I didn't make this up. NASA named this place. There are two faces there. And once What's really funny is I found the two faces on Mars and this news of this spread through NASA, through academia, like wildfire.
1: I actually way, how did got you, a how call did you from find Carl it? Sagan about it. How did you find? Well, I got to hear that, too. But how did you find it?
0: Well, we were investigating Cydonia. We had verified that the pictures were true. We actually got the electronic Version of the pictures on tape, and
1: and, and who's we is this at? Oh, this was Mars, an independent
0: Mars investigation team headed by Richard hoagland
1: okay. Included,
0: okay. Petro and molinar the original guys, they supplied all of the data they had, and a bunch of guys in California. It was headquartered at the place everyone will know, SRI. Believe it or not, headquartered mm-hmm. served as the headquarters of this place. They the provided a lot of resources. the foundation
1: of remote viewing. So, yes, right. it turns
0: out the remote viewers were just down the hall from the Mars investigation at SRI. So SRI was helping with this investigation. They provided a lot of resources. We verified the pictures were correct. That, you know, they had two pictures of the face on Mars and three pictures of the pyramid on Mars. And they were discovers the the pyramids, great Molinar and Sepetro, so it's called the DNM pyramid. So it looked like it was on the shore of the ancient ocean. I mean, that's what I figured out. Gee, it looks like mm-hmm. it was on the shore of the ocean. There was an ancient ocean there, and it looks like it was on the shoreline. It was a po- coastal city, which on Earth is where you find a lot of cities, even from ancient times. So I decided to look at a spot on Mars where we hadn't seen any pictures from it. I ordered the pictures sight unseen. I just found a spot that looked like it would be a good place for another city on Mars, if there was a widespread culture on Mars. I ordered the pictures from a place called Utopia Planum. It was near a volcano called Hecatus. It wasn't at the base of the volcano, but the volcano was nearby. It was high ground. It was on the shores of the ocean. I and who did you order
1: the who did you order the pictures
0: from? NASA, believe it or not, NASA was very cooperative in
1: this investigation. They probably NASA weren't thing. checking. It was probably just some functionary. Just
0: well, the guy who was in charge of the data library said, "We don't care what the pictures are. If we get a lot of requests for pictures, then that's good for our funding." He says. 80% of the pictures we get requests we get are for Cydonia Mensa. So he confided, he said, Jury Guy's investigation has been great for business around here. It, it enables us to justify our budgets because we're shipping a lot of pictures to everybody pictures of Mars from Viking. So I ordered a new set of pictures and they provided them for free. So I'm sitting there, laying them down in my living room, and it was almost as if an angel was looking over my shoulder, finally telling me, "Look down, straight down, right there." There was two faces, and I made some Mars scientists aware of this that I'd found another face. Another one of the faces looks a lot like the face at Cydonia Mensa. It's, they're slightly smaller, they're about two-thirds the size. But so I informed Amara scientist of this, and apparently news of this spread like wildfire. So finally I'm on the phone with Carl Sagan.
1: So he, he called wants you to see
0: the pictures. Yes. He wants to see the pictures.
1: Look, I don't so know a I... lot about Carl Sagan, but the more I learn about him, the less oh, I feel like he's a good guy.
0: Carl Carl was working both sides of the street. He was a very clever guy. He knew where his bread was buttered. He wanted to make sure it was buttered on both sides. Hey, I salute him. I salute him because, yes, you're working both sides of the street. But sometimes that's a good survival tactic. And he a made a
1: survival tactic. But the man has no integrity in my viewpoint.
0: Well, we'll talk about Carl. In a minute. But what happened was, I showed people the pictures of the new faces, and they have similar markings as the face at Cydonia. And that spread like wildfire. Finally, I'm on the phone with Carl Sagan. He had called me to inquire about, and I said, okay, I'll send you the new. I hadn't told people where the pictures were from. I just said, look what I found. And so, he said, could you send me some pictures, copies of those pictures I had? know, So I put them in an envelope, marked them Carl Sagan, Cornell University Space Science Center, put them in the mail. I watched actually the mail truck come pick it up and take it away. Then I moved. I quit my job at Sandia Labs. And funny, I'd saved the project, but I made one of the senior officials look bad. Heaven forbid.
1: Project not important. I, I, I had violated
0: standard operating procedures. We were trying to fire electron beam weapons and the beams wouldn't go straight. So I said, well, we have to spin them, rifle them, you know, mm-hmm. and that worked. Of and course it, it saved the project. It saved the project. And, but a guy, senior guy said, oh, that'll never work. And I
1: proved him wrong. Oh, He should be thanking you. This is what, The people who rise to these positions of senior bureaucrats are just, they're just lick spittles and they just do whatever they're told. Anyway, sorry. I I keep, sorry for all the public service announcements. I I, had gone
0: to graduate school at Lawrence Livermore lab, which is run by a university. It's very much a university atmosphere. There, what mattered was being right, doing good physics. Sandia labs is run by bell labs. And you know, Yes, corporate. It's now it's no longer run by Bell Labs, but it was run by Bell Labs in those days.
1: corporation, right?
0: It was a corporation. It's very corporate. I mean, if you didn't play golf, you were out of the loop. You missed out on all important meetings, which took place at the ninth hole. And so I saved the project. And this caused one guy told me, he said, Brandenburg, if you knew what was good for you, you better get the hell out of here, because this guy is after you now. You've embarrassed him.
1: It's funny so, anyway, spending his resources going after somebody rather than actually doing his job, but that's, oh, that's just the way oh, people are. Who, <laughs> you
0: sound like you worked there. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it was an interesting place to work. It was so The culture was so different than it was at Livermore. That I, you know, like at Livermore, everybody put cartoons and funny news headlines and stuff on their office door. You know, I got a lot of good laughs. Some people had just great headlines on the doors, you know. Uh, Man bites dog. Owner sues sues man. (laughs) Stuff like this, you know. And if you did that at Sandy Labs, the guards would come around at night and rip down everything you put on your door and leave it there lying in front of your door. Like I've been there for a year. Oh, you—that
1: those are the those are the good old days. Today, it would still be on your door, but then you'd be called into HR, and they'd say, "Yeah, yeah, oh, you know, yeah. you know, we've been receiving some very disturbing reports about, you know, canineicide or whatever, whatever the <laughs> word is, and, and <laughs> how deeply offended you, it, it was. So and, you
0: have deeply offended, and created yeah, a hostile environment everywhere, by, of course, and, and, and it was very, it's very and
1: racist. Bites and bites dog. Very, there's a very racist motif there. And like, that's, that's, I mean, I'm not, ju- like, that's not far from the truth places. I, I know
0: what you're talking about. And
1: so, but well,
0: anyway, what had happened was I left the job at Sandia. I went to Washington, D.C. to start working for another. Uh, I worked for a great company called Mission Research Corporation. We always mm-hmm. said we we're on a mission from God. We were supporting the military and intelligence with, you know, scientific research. And it was during the Reagan Star Wars defense initiative which i thought was really great won the cold war and so we churned along and when i got in there i called sagan's office to see what his reaction was the pictures and they said he, he never saw
1: them he never saw them did he he never it, well, saw well them. here's what here's what happened he
0: was out so i was out doing marketing we we're selling all this research for star wars you know it's this. Or as I was reformed, really, by this one general, you mean strategic defense? Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) But without Star Wars the movie, sir, there would be no Star Wars the program, right? And so, but anyway, so we're running around the Beltway. We were Beltway Buccaneers. Anybody can be a bandit, John, but it takes real experts to be a Buccaneer. You got to know seamanship. So we were doing a really great job. It's a great company. Mm -hmm. And so I'm making a full professional recovery from this embarrassment at Sandy Labs. And every time we'd come back from the office, from these visits to other offices, to the Army, Navy, all these different places to try and pitch programs. The office manager would say, Carl Sagan called for you, Brandenburg. Nobody ever calls me John. They always call me Brandenburg. Brandenburg, Carl Sagan called for you. So, I would call him. I would call his office back and he wouldn't be there. People didn't have cell phones. So, we played telephone tag for like two weeks. Finally, I'm talking to my boss. We're having a meeting about going out to the Naval Research Lab to pitch this idea. And the office manager comes in. She's a really cute lady. She says, John has a phone call. And my boss just looks at her like, Why are you interrupting this meeting? You know, we're talking about money here. She says, it's from Carl Sagan, she says. And he's kind of snippy. (laughs) So I go to my office. My boss's eyes get big as saucers. He'd heard all about my Mars escapades. And he said, well, you better go find out what he wants. So I went to my office and I, you know, I'm on the phone with Carl Sagan. And he says, well, Carl, what'd you think of the pictures? He says, I never got them. I mean, he wouldn't have been calling me unless he was expecting to get pictures and he never got them. So he didn't get them. And we both have this 30 seconds of silence. We realize, okay, somebody intercepted the pictures.
1: So I told him,
0: here's "Here's the frame number. Frame number. Here's where it is on Mars. Here, you can look it up yourself, and I'm going to fax you a copy of the picture. I had a copy of the picture in my office, and I circled it and faxed it to him. That's the way people did in those days. We didn't have internet. And I talked to him later. He says, well, these aren't as good as the face at Sidonia. They're not as big. And I said, well, <laughs> you got to take what you can get, Carl. i you know, <laughs> I'm doing my best. And so anyway, so then he knew about them. And then they named the place. NASA officially named that area. It had been nameless. They named it Galaxis Chaos. And what I realized is I had thrown their galaxy into chaos by my discovery. And now it's been verified. It's been refot- the face, one of the face that looks like the one in Sidonia Cydonia has been re And yeah. It's a face. Yeah,
1: the the, the Europeans sent a probe. And it looks like... Yeah,
0: Europeans. uh, uh, They probably filtered it, right? And well, what they did is also, there was a probe sent to Mars that wasn't controlled by JPL. It was called Odyssey. And it took pictures of everything. Pyramids, faces. And they took the best pictures of everything because they think it's neat. they are a university. Whereas Jet Propulsion Lab is like a corporation. And so what we have is evidence that things on Mars, not only was Mars like Earth, but it developed an intelligent humanoid culture. We don't know what shape it is. They may have had eight arms. I don't know. Uh, You know, all we see is their faces. We know they build pyramids like on Earth. We found another great pyramid on Mars recently, and it's a pyramid. And it's on the shoreline of the ocean, just like everything else. So then something terrible happened on Mars. And the planet turned into some cross between the Earth and the Moon. It's got only a thousandth of an atmosphere now. Believe it or not, it's still got blue sky. Interestingly enough, one of the scandals on Mars is the color of the sky. If you look at pictures from the Hubble telescope, who's not run by JPL, by the they're run by some other place. You'll see this blue sheen
1: around Mars. The sky's blue I, on Mars. I, I thought the the reason that the this sky was blue is because it's a reflection of the ocean. Like no, no. no. What's the reason? No, I, it's I, I, blue because of colorless
0: gases like carbon dioxide, nitrogen, oh, and you know just and oxygen they scatter blue light.
1: Okay, that's I
0: that's why the Earth's sky is blue if you're in a desert you'll see down near the horizon there's this dust band kind of yeah. reddish dust band and that's there on mars but the the sky on mars is a deep
1: deep dark blue and they're loathe to admit it because they would have to admit the well it makes it look
0: like earth and they don't want people making comparisons like that that's a road we don't want to go down brandenburg if you had any brains they tell me you're an intelligent fellow. How come you keep doing stupid things? You can't get any grants from us if you keep talking like that. You're blacklisted. I'm not supposed to tell you that, but it's true.
1: Yeah, stupid is all relative, right? Stupid and when stupid it comes to raising relative. money. But, stupid, but not stupid yeah. when it comes to having the right answer. Sometimes a real sign of intelligence
0: in a situation is to play stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm a Viking. I'm half Viking. No. We know that about that, you know. Hey, whatever the big boss says, you know. <laughs> we're going to go raid England instead of Ireland? Well, the chief, last time we raided England, uh, they were waiting for us on the shoreline in armor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to raid a different place this time.
1: It'll be different. Uh,
0: yes, promise. Boss. Yes, uh. And he looks around the qu- and he says, There aren't any more questions? Nobody has any questions. So that's what we do. I mean, that's All the right. way human beings work. I mean, they, they're very group oriented. Uh, we're social creatures, and you have an alpha male running things, or an alpha female, I'm sorry. They can swing heavy chains just like men can. We've shown that. Look at Queen Elizabeth, Queen Victoria. Catherine the Great, they weren't afraid to sw- swing some heavy chain when they wanted to. Okay, so we've you- established, though, there was early Mars, early Earth had almost identical conditions. That means life began on Mars. The reason Mars is red, has a lot of water channels on age all the different ages of Mars, because Mars had a greenhouse that lasted a long time. And it's red because it had oxygen in the atmosphere that stabilized the greenhouse and allowed the greenhouse to function for a long time. And then finally, the inevitable, there was apparently a humanoid culture on Mars that built great monuments. We don't know what their level of technology was, but they looked like us. They built stuff that looks like our stuff. Five-sided pyramids instead of four. I don't understand it. Anyway, we found that at two different major sites. So everything that happened on Earth happened on Mars, apparently. And then something terrible happened that turned Mars from being like Earth to being like it is now.
1: And tune in for the next episode because we're going to cover exactly what that potentially was so thank you dr Brandenburg. i appreciate thank you thank you
0: sean for hosting me it's a pleasure and honor it's i've really enjoyed these conversations with you and, as have uh, i so and it was really good that you were in the army and know how things work in
1: the government yeah and in corporations and and right likewise. all right thank i you mean again, if the friend. colonel
0: says if the colonel says it's the way it is And then he looks around the room and says, are there any questions?
1: No, sir. (laughs) (laughs) No questions. (laughs) That's right. That's right. All right. Okay.
0: John, so, so good to talk to you and to be on your podcast. Thank you.
1: Thanks again. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Peace.